0: This is Looking Closer. I'm Jeffrey Overstreet, and I'm sitting on the bluff in Edmonds, Washington, above the waterfront park and looking out at Puget Sound. A lot of people are out and about on this sunny, cold October day. It's a beautiful view here with very, very choppy conditions out on the Sound. And I am going to share with you today uh, one of the reviews I wrote recently about a little movie that I think uh, deserves more attention than it's been getting. The movie is called The Vast of Night, and it's a lot of fun. It's a little science fiction movie that uh, Amazon Prime is sharing with you right now. And when I wrote this review, my father-in-law, Dr. Frederick Doe, was on my mind. Dad passed away a little over a year ago. I miss him every single day, as does my wife, Anne, who held him up as a hero in her life. We talk about him all the time. Why am I thinking about him when I think of this far-fetched little sci-fi adventure? Well, that'll become clear as I read. So I titled this post, Why the Vast of Night Hits Close to Home. Disclaimer, I am close enough to some aspects of this movie that my critical assessment might be somewhat skewed. I'll reveal that connection momentarily. I have a responsibility after all. Professional film critics will be honest from the start if they have a personal connection to the material they're about to review. There is no such thing as objectivity or unbiased reporting in journalism, but the best writers aim to make a reasonable, well-supported, and enlightening argument. I suppose you can tell uh, as I read this that my mind has been very much occupied with uh, the essays written by freshmen at Seattle Pacific University. So. In my academic writing class, uh, we are we are talking about how to build reasonable, well-supported, and enlightening arguments. Um, so anyway, moving on. When I reviewed Doctor Strange, it was only fair of me to confess my friendship with one of the filmmakers, even though I was going to praise it as my favorite Marvel movie regardless of that personal connection. So stay tuned for a note about why The Vast of Night hits so close to home for me. No, I have never been visited by aliens. That's not what I mean, although The Vast of Night, this new Amazon Studios indie sci-fi flick now streaming on Amazon Prime, teases us with the possibility of just such a visitation in the small town of Cayuga, New Mexico. Yes, I did play high school basketball, and this film opens as the whole town, or so it seems, converges on a Cayuga campus gymnasium for a big game. And the specifics ring true to high stakes, high school sports rivalries. What's more, they ring true to the 1950s. Impressively so. No, this isn't my connection to the film. I played basketball in the 80s, not the 50s, but the production designers, writers and cast serve up an enthrallingly convincing recreation of that time. They do so by leaning with enthusiasm into the sights and sounds of the period's science fiction, beginning with an homage to the Twilight Zone and quickly segueing into clever references in substance and in style to War of the Worlds. Everything from the cars to the radio station to that gymnasium feels so legitimate that we're likely to find our disbelief impressively suspended. At this basketball game, we meet a fast-talking young local celebrity, radio DJ Everett, played by Jake Horowitz, who reminds me of a young Killian Murphy who has a reputation as an expert when it comes to any kind of electrical circuitry. He's also popular with listeners, young women especially, who find his voice, if not his Clark Kentishness, to be dreamy. Note, this is where I recommend viewers activate the closed captioning, because the dialogue in this movie, especially in those first 15 minutes, is often muffled and convoluted by a complicated sound design and by characters who revel in the lingo of their dialect. Lingo that I suspect to be as much invented as revived. Anyway, it's clear that Everett was born to be a DJ and even clearer that he enjoys the status his position gives him with the locals. And you don't want to miss anything he has to say. Similarly, You want to catch every twitchy little line from Everett's young friend and fangirl Faye, played by Sierra McCormick, a crackerjack with tricky dialogue, the likes of of which we haven't heard since True Grit's Haley Steinfeld, or, reaching back farther, Raising Arizona's Holly Hunter. Faye's enthusiasm for the future of technology is amusing, both for how much the 1950s dreamers got right TV telephones, for example, and how far they were off. Transportation innovations, both magnet-controlled and vacuum-tubed. No, I have never been a switchboard operator or a DJ. That's not my connection with this material. But I do share the film's preoccupation with primitive electronic gadgets of the time. Particularly, tape recorders, which were my favorite childhood toy. Everett loves recording equipment, and Faye is a switchboard pro. A slow zoom, long take allows her to show off her skills as she zigzags between a dozen conversations in what may be my favorite scene of 2020 so far. As Everett broadcasts the hits to almost nobody during Cayuga's big basketball game, and as Faye connects calls from listeners to the DJ, they stumble onto an inexplicably creepy sound on the circuitry, a muffled noise like a broken reel-to-reel inside a wind tunnel. And it quickly becomes clear that something is up. I mean that quite literally. Something is up. It isn't long before they hear reports about something in the sky, and then the lines from panicked callers start going dead, Everett and Fay, as if born for a moment like this, spring into action like a Hardy Boy and Nancy Drew or a young Mulder and Scully. No, my disclaimer isn't about how much I love this movie's influences, although the aforementioned debt its dialogue owes to Cohen Brothers is substantial and the tension of its night-driving scenes recall both Raising Arizona and Blood Simple. Before it's over, there will be clear references to Spielberg, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for example, and obvious X-Files associations. But I'm led to speculate about other possible influences, too. I, I thought of the indie horror hit It Follows, during the film's wonderfully unsettling ankle-level long take high-speed journeys through the maze of Cayuga's dark streets. One low-level take in particular feel, feels like it was filmed by Wally himself or one of those Amazon delivery droids. We go zipping around around the empty shadows of the city center until we zoom from the dark into the bright and crowded gymnasium. Then stop in the middle of a basketball game and become part of the fast-break action. Exhilarating. I also thought of, or rather felt, the influence of Twin Peaks, which achieves a similar sense that something supernatural and even spiritual is at work in the shadows. If you're familiar with Episode 8 of Twin Peaks The Return, you know what I mean. The Lynch influence is particularly strong as the movie begins spotlighting the testimonies of characters emerging from behind closed doors, those who represent the overlooked, the oppressed, and the flat-out ignored. This movie is as much about the quiet sufferings of the alienated as it is about the possibility of aliens. And in a timely tangent, we hear the voice of an African-American veteran who seems delighted to be taken seriously for, perhaps, the very first time. I don't know any of these impressive young actors, although both Horowitz and McCormick are spectacular and they chew on a screenplay by James Montague and Craig W. Sanger, both also new to me, that is generous with speeches and acrobatic with slang and figures of speech. Nor do I know director Andrew Patterson, although I'd love to pick his brain about his playfulness with formats and screen ratios. But I do know Roswell, New Mexico. I know it, and I love it. My wife Anne, who grew up there, knows it far better than me. Yes, I know, I said the film takes place in Cayuga, but that's a fictional stand-in for Roswell, clearly. In fact, many of the local references, including basketball team rivalries and street names, were spot on and verified that for me. What's more, I'm a believer that, as Mulder would insist, the truth is out there. Ann's father, who passed away a year ago this week, which is why I'm dedicating this review to him, was a local Roswell celebrity as a longtime doctor and chief of staff at its local hospital. He knew some of the people who had worked at the hospital on the occasion of the famous Roswell incident. They verified several details of what has ballooned, or rather weather ballooned, into American mythology. They verified that the hospital got a call when something was discovered in the desert outside of town. The call was an urgent request for several child-sized coffins. As Anne likes to say, You don't call the hospital and make that request if what you've found is a weather balloon dummy. But then whatever or whomever was recovered there and brought to the hospital was seized and taken by the government. Now not everybody jumps to the conclusions that this was an alien crash site. Some will point to the fact that there was still an active POW camp in the region as well as a nuclear testing site, and when I start thinking about possible connections there, well, let's just say I would prefer to learn that it was a UFO crash site to the other possibilities that come to mind. Anyway, my point is this. I love a lot about Roswell, particularly the details of what it was before the X-Files turned it into an alien seeker's amusement park, much to the dismay of most of those who live there. And I loved this occasion to revisit something very like it, to play with the possibilities yet again of what events might have unfolded on the occasion of that mysterious 1947 incident. Nevertheless, I do wish The Vast of Night had a stronger conclusion, not the familiar and somewhat predictable denouement at which these filmmakers arrive. It answers questions too neatly and fails to surprise us further i wish it had done more with what ends up being its strongest thread the idea that we cannot hope to arrive at meaningful truth unless we open up the lines to all callers and listen in particular to those voices that have been silenced undervalued and even condemned black callers matter still These are ultimately quibbles about what is, altogether, a fantastic surprise and one of the highlights of the pandemic's home cinema season. I wish I could have seen this on a big screen, and I am immediately a fan of the filmmaking team of Patterson, Montague, and Sanger. I want to see them make more movies, and I would particularly request that studios refuse to give them more extravagant resources, as this movie is, I believe, powerful evidence that their creativity soars when they are faced with the challenges and limitations of low-budget filmmaking. With fantastic editing tricks and an evocative score, they cleverly incorporate Strauss's thus-spoke Zarathustra, best known for its role in 2001 A Space Odyssey they cast a remarkable spell. As with last year's biggest sci-fi surprise, Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell's Prospect, The Vast of Night is a reminder that less is more most of the time. And while cinema can dazzle us with special effects wizardry, it does us far more good when it calls upon that priceless capacity within its audience their own imaginations. You've been listening to a Tracking Shot episode of Looking Closer with Jeffrey Overstreet. You can find more than two decades' worth of writing on the arts, especially movies, at lookingcloser.org. You can follow me at facebook.com lookingcloser, and I'm on Twitter as Overstweet, Both the writing at lookingcloser.org and these recordings are made possible by those readers and listeners generous enough to respond with donations. To learn how you can support Looking Closer, email overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. That's overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. You can also dig deeper by picking up a copy of my Memoir of Dangerous Moviegoing, a book called Through a Screen Darkly. or. Explore my adventures in storytelling by reading the novel Aurelia's Colors and its three sequels. Original music for this episode comes from Todd Fatal, a friend of mine since early childhood. If you have questions about what you've heard, email me, again, overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. While I spare my listeners' paid advertisements, this week I will voluntarily advertise something I love. Seattle Pacific University, the liberal arts university where I did my undergraduate studies, where I earned my master's in creative writing, where I found the community that helped me begin and complete the books I dreamed of writing, and where I now teach academic writing, creative writing, and film classes. I am so grateful for the opportunity to teach in this remarkable community where we commit ourselves to fulfilling this scriptural exhortation. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Learn more about Seattle Pacific University at spu.edu and again, You'll find the home base of all of my writing about the arts at lookingcloser.org. Until next time, I'm Jeffrey Overstreet. Look closer, and then let's talk about it.